Well, last week we finished up with John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, I should say. So today we'll, we will take a look at 1 John chapter 4. So please open your Bibles or phone apps up there. And as we often do, let's go back into chapter 3 and we'll work our way on into chapter 4. So... 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, of course, I touched on all of these verses last week, but just to reiterate what we see here in verse 16, this is how love is identifiable and our lives today as born-again believers. Jesus was our example of love by laying down his life, and we are to now do the same, is what that verse is telling us. Again, this does not mean that we have to physically die to show our love, but rather an example is given to us here in verse 16 of what demonstrating love really is. Actually, in verse 17, I should say, we get an example of what demonstrating love is. Again, it's not about taking a bullet for somebody or, or dying for somebody physically. That's not what John is getting across here to us. Because in verse 17, like I said, he gives us this example. He said, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him. So again, if you have this world's goods, and by the way, that word goods there is the Greek word bios or, or bios, and it very definitely means resources and wealth. So if you have this world's resources and you have this world's wealth, right, if you have money and things and you see a brother or a sister in Christ, doesn't, that does not have money or things or is in need of these things, to show, to show the love of Christ is to give to that person. Okay? And this is an area where the body of Christ today is woefully pathetic. Now, I could expound on this topic a lot more, but you're all mature enough people to expound on this in your own hearts. The body of Christ lacks in this. I, I call it woefully pathetic. Okay. Verse 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, as I said last week, this is a put up or shut up statement from the word of God. If you say you have faith, if you say you abide in God, then it must be shown in the things that you do. Not just the things that you talk about. It must be shown in the way you live your life. Again, we, we have to look at Scripture in a very practical way. And when you read the Bible and you study the Bible on your own, you really need to take it personally. And you really need to ask yourself, and day by day as we go through this life, are we living this way? Are we laying down our lives for others? Are we making sure that the brethren around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are taken care of as well. 
verse 19, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So do you see what the word is saying here? This is the way that you know that you are of the truth. Jesus is the truth, right? And this is how that we know that we are in Jesus by the way we live out our lives. That we do these things, that we actually show love for the brethren in this way, right? So by the way we sacrifice in our own life to help the brethren shows that we love in the way that Jesus loved. Again, I commented on all these verses last week, so let's just keep going. Verse 20, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Now, I don't have any notes on this to comment on this, but it's just popping into my mind. Sometimes we can wonder, how come what I ask, God, I don't receive? And maybe throughout a large portion of Christianity, this this question can be asked. Why don't I receive what I ask for? Well, the question comes back onto us there in verse 22, and, and, and we have to ask, Are we keeping His commandments? Are we actually living what the Word says specifically? Are we living it? Or have we just allowed ourselves to create a form or a brand of Christianity that is a little bit like the world and a little bit like the Bible? So we gather in our churches and we do our potlucks and we do all of our things and all of our, all of this stuff not, not 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 condemning any of that right but have we created a brand of christianity that's not biblical instead of living the biblical christianity instead of doing exactly what it says we are to do and then maybe we wouldn't have to wonder why we don't get what we ask for because when we start keeping his commandments We start living within His will. We start living the way He wants us to live. And then we get what we ask for. If we have a heart that when we have the goods of this world, that we're going to help the brethren, then maybe we'll get the things that we ask for. But if we have a heart that says, I want for me, I want to gather more for me so I can live in more comfort, so I can have this, we won't get that. Because that's not sacrifice. That's not love. That's not the kind of love Jesus displayed, nor is it the the way that he wants us to live. Verse 24. Well, verse 23, I think. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave commandment. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Something else popping into my mind right here. Verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. Notice back in 23. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. Notice it doesn't say now he who believes in Jesus abides in him. Notice that it points the the burden back to keeping the commandments. 
In other words, living the life of the Word of God. It's not just simply believing in Jesus, right? Because who was it? Paul that pointed out, or maybe it was in John, somebody pointed out that the devil believes in Jesus, right? So it's, it's more than that. It's more than just professing that you believe in Jesus. There's more to it. There's actually living out the life. That's what abiding in Christ means. It means you, to, uh, to abide means you take up residence there. You live there. You make yourself at home there. It's every day about being in Christ. It's every day about doing His will. Every day it's about keeping His commandments. Right? In verse 24, there ends and says, And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. That's how we know He abides in us, by the Spirit, right? So praise God for His Holy Spirit whom abides in us. But now, speaking of the Spirit, right? Verse 1 of chapter 4 moves on to say, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, small s, right? But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is the kind of scripture right there that we need to take more seriously in the body of Christ. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's many false teachings out there. And you could become victim to one little by little and not even know it. It could be slightly the prosperity doctrine that has crept into Christianity. And you may say, well, I reject the prosperity doctrine. But do you really? Or do you partially live it? So, but it's evident from Scripture here that there is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which of course is good. He is the one that works in us and the one that we are to take heed to. But there are also bad spirits, if you will, that work within false prophets. And that's what's being talked about here. But you see, we are to hold them to the test of the truth, the one and only truth, the word of God. See, we need to take what we hear coming from the mouths of men and women, me included, you need to take what you hear coming from my mouth today and you need to hold it up to the light of the Word of God. And you need to say, does this line up to the Word of God? You need to do that with me. You need to do that with anybody that stands up and teaches the Bible. You need to be in the Word of God yourself. You know, the body of Christ in the early days were instructed by the Apostle Paul to do, this, to do that very same thing. I want you to go ahead and mark this page. And let's take a, a look at a couple different verses for a few moments. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. So again, the Apostle Paul instructed the church. The early church, the body of believers on what they should do, you know. And of course, the Apostle Paul was doing it how? Through the Holy Spirit, right? It was the Holy Spirit leading him to do this. 
And now, all these years later, we have this writing. It's written down for us, the Word of God, and we can learn from it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, down in verse 29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others do what? Judge. So you see, it's totally fine for people to prophetically speak, okay, during a church service or whatever, but what they speak is to then be judged by the others that are present. It's to say, you know, hey, wait a minute. Is what he's saying in the Word of God? Is what he is standing up to prophetically pronounce right now, is that in the Word of God? Or am I just to take it at face value and say, oh, well, he's a respected man in this church. He's been around this church for years. Oh, he founded this church. Oh, he's a great leader. There's many other churches that came, came from him, whatever the case may be. No, we're, we're to hold it to the test. We're to judge it, right? So you don't take what someone says prophetically for face value. Instead, you are to judge what is said. And you are, John calls it, testing the Spirit. That's what we saw in 1 John, right? Testing the Spirit. Then as we turn ahead in our Bibles right now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 20 and 21, starting in verse 20, do not despise prophecies. So again, right, prophesying should be going on in, in the church service. Someone or multiple someone should be standing up and speaking under the leading of the Holy Spirit. But again, verse 21 instructs us to test all things. Hold fast what is good. So again, same thing. Test the Spirit. Test the spirit that is behind the person speaking. If it lines up with the word of God, then what do you do with it? Verse 21 says, hold fast to it. If it's good, if it lines up with the word of God, hold fast to it. Take it in as if it's from the Lord. When someone stands in front of you and teaches you in the things of God, make sure that what they are teaching you is in the word of God and is properly taught to you. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul said, "For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God." That's what Paul said. "I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God." Believe me, there are things, there are many times that when I get up and I teach like this, and I've been teaching like this for years now, as when I get up and do this, there are many things that I, I pause and say, do I really want to say that? I'm going to offend this person. I'm going to offend that person. Or I know this is going to speak right to that person. You know, I, I know it. So, but I have to do it. I have to not shun to declare to you the whole counsel of the Word of God. Because we all need it. I need the whole counsel of the Word of God. In order to do what? In order to live righteously. In order to live in the way that God wants me to live. In order to live in, the, the, in His will. 
I want to keep His commandments. I want to grow deeper in that. I want to grow more and more. I'm not there. I have not arrived. None of us have. But we're to, to go in that direction. Okay? But the only way we do it is we have to take the whole counsel of the Word of God. We can't shun any of it. Right? And you see, many people today do not declare the whole counsel of the Word of God in churches because they don't want to offend somebody. They need the seats being full because they got to pay for the building and they got to pay for the trees and they got to pay for the landscaping and they got to pay for the potlucks and they got to pay for the summer camps and the winter camps and they got to pay for all this stuff so they can't offend people and stop the money from flowing in, right? And many people today take bits and pieces of Scripture and they pull it out of context and they teach it as doctrine. They don't take the whole counsel. A little bit here, a little bit there, we can create a whole new church. We can create a whole new religion. If we all wanted to sit down today and spend some hours and get together later in the week and spend some more hours, we can pull out a whole bunch of scriptures and, and create a whole new religion and name it some other ism, right? But in reality, you are deceived by someone teaching the Word of God falsely when you just jump on to what they say and you don't really care what the Word of God says. Or not that you don't care, but you don't take the time to go look at it yourself. right? So when someone teaches you in this life, be it whether you ever come here or wherever you go, make sure they have the Bible open and make sure you have the Bible open or your phone apps, that works too, right? And make sure you're reading the Word of God. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Very familiar verses. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let's start reading in verse 15. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. So pause right there briefly. Who is the one that is supposed to be diligent here? You are, right? You are to be diligent. The burden is on you. Be diligent to present yourself approved unto God. Okay? This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. But it's what the Holy Spirit wrote to us. That we are to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That is what we are supposed to be diligent in right there. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's where the diligent comes in. That's where the diligence comes in. Rightly dividing the the word of truth. If you are not diligent in rightly dividing the word of truth, then you will be ashamed. Right? Like it says there. Or at least you ought to be ashamed. Not everyone that stands in the pulpit, not everyone that holds up the Bible, speaks by the leading of the Holy Spirit. There are babblers out there that just love to parade themselves back and forth on the stage in front of people 
and they go off on little tangents and they're not in the word of God and they're just talking and they're parading themselves back and forth and they, they don't even know it, but they're deceiving people because people aren't being fed in the truth of the word of God. They're not rightly dividing the word of God. And the only way that you can know whether someone, what someone teaches is right or not, the only way you can ever know if what I teach you is right or not, is if you take the time to get into the Word of God and rightly divide it for yourself. Verse 16 says, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. So again, this is, the, this is where false teachers lead people. They lead people down the path of ungodliness. And all they do is babble. They're not teaching the Word of God. They're just parading back and forth on the stage, babbling, trying to get laughs, trying to please everybody, trying to do whatever. And you know, their messages do have power. But it's the power to kill and destroy. And verse 17 says, And their message will spread like cancer. What does cancer do? It kills. And their message will, that people like that will kill. Hymenus and Philetus are of this sort. So Paul names a couple guys here, right? Who have strayed concerning the truth. Saying that the resurrection is already past. And they overthrow the faith of of some. See, John would call these type of people here the spirit of the Antichrist. Right? They're little Antichrists. They're deceiving people while they proclaim to be a part of the body of Christ. But they're babblers. And as we flip back to 1 John chapter 4, we are not to be deceived by these false teachings, right? We are to hold what we hear up to the test. We are to test every spirit. And John gives us a, a surefire way of knowing whether the spirit is the true spirit, capital S, or not. In verse 2. So I'm back in 1 John 4, 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Okay? That's what he's saying. By this, what I'm about to say, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, of course, we know that Scripture does not teach that Jesus was just an ordinary man like the rest of us. In other words, we all, have, all of us today, came to the earth in the flesh. We all came out of our mother's womb, and boom, there we were in the flesh. But that's not what John's talking about here. Jesus came in the flesh, meaning that he came from above in the flesh. We know from Scripture that Jesus did not have an earthly father. We, we also know from Scripture that the Word of God, right, Himself, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that from, first, or from John chapter 1, right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Okay? So John is saying here that the person that is of God, right, is of the Spirit, teaches this. Teaches that Jesus came in the flesh. And verse 3 says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Do we know any religions that teach that Jesus was just a man? Do we know any religions that deny the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God in the flesh? Yeah, we know them. Lots of people teach this. And John says, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Capital A Antichrist, right? Which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. John says, it's already in the world. That was way back then. Already. That quickly. That quickly after the Spirit of God came down on on Pentecost, right? While the 120 were gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem. That happened. And not long after that, in John's lifetime still, already the Spirit of the Antichrist had come. Already people had started to teach a false doctrine that quickly. That quickly after Jesus had ascended into heaven, Antichrist went out into the world. Okay? And in verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You see... What John is saying here is that if you have been born again, then you have the spirit of truth in you, the Holy Spirit. Okay, And by this, we have overcome. By what? By the fact that we have the spirit within us. And the person that does not have the, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, verse 5 says, they are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see, the spirit of truth, right? The Holy Spirit testifies within us, right? Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be in us and would be with us. He said that the Holy Spirit would teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. That's what Jesus said of the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, we have unity with one another. If you rightly divide the word of truth in your life, right? If I rightly divide the word of truth in my life, right? Then we speak to one another and it makes sense, right? Because it's all in the Word of God. We can hear one another. If someone comes along and teaches something contrary to the Word, it does not testify within us or it shouldn't, right? Someone comes along and we should look at that and we should say, I know the Word myself. I study it myself. I rightly divide it. What you're teaching is contrary to it when I get in it and read it myself. So this happens, right? And it's the spirit of the Antichrist. Right? And on the other hand, someone that does not have the Holy Spirit 
They'll sit and listen to a false teacher or a false prophet, and they won't even realize that they're being deceived because they themselves do not know the Word of God. And they don't even realize. They're not being fed. They're not being taught. They're not growing in their faith. They're not growing spiritually. They're not recognizing their own spiritual gifts. They're not living the commandments of the Lord because they're not being taught the commandments of the Lord. Right? But again, the onus of the burden comes back on us as individuals. We must know the Word of God. Yes, there is to be people like me who step up and teach it, but my job is to exhort you to get in it. My job is to exhort you to study the Word of God for yourself. And my job is to exhort you to live it. And then I've got to go out and do the same thing in my personal life. right? So John says that there's a difference right, between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And he's saying, hey, this is how you tell them apart. There is a way to tell it apart. So then John moves back in the topic, into the topic of love, which is John's favorite subject. And here in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, we talked a lot about love last week. And if you weren't here and if you're interested, you can go back and listen to last week's teaching. But this is another surefire way of knowing if someone has been born again or not. Are they a person of love? Is this clearly seen in our lives, right? Because it really should be. Love should clearly be seen. It should be what we're known for. We're that person that steps up and says, I'm helping my brethren. I'm helping the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm stepping up and I'm helping these people. I'm going to do it. That's what love is. Love lays down your own life and says, I'm giving to this. I'm helping with this, right? Verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. Now, it's very important here that we take heed to all of this, but especially the last six words there of verse 9. We know that God has loved us, right, with a great love. We know this. By giving us His Son, we know that God has loved us with a great love. But what we now are to understand is that the reason that God did this is so that we might live through him. That's the last six words there. That we might live through him. See, we are now to live every day of our lives in this manner. Through Jesus Christ, that is. Completely submitted to him, totally committed to him, living for his glory, living for his honor, being led day by day by his spirit, walking by faith and not by sight, keeping his commandments and doing his will. Not being of this world, but rather living in a manner that demonstrates that we are not of this world. And if you test the spirits, as John tells us to do, if you test the spirits in your life, then, then you are a person that questions 
the things that the world offers you. You don't just take what the world offers you. The world will offer you all kinds of things through its entertainment, through, through all of the stuff in the world, the, through TV commercials, through everything. It's constantly offering you something. Why? Money, that's why. They want you to buy this product. They want you to get into this beer. They want you to get into this thing or that thing, whatever it might be. That's why all the advertisements out there and the world constantly offers you something. But if you test the spirit and you say, no, what's behind that? Why do you think they call alcohol spirits? Wine and spirits when you go to the liquor store or you see a sign outside of the liquor store or whatever, right? Why do you think they call that? Because it is spirits. Because it will affect you spiritually. It will change the course of your life. It will change your mind. And eventually it will change your heart. There are things you should accept in this world. And there are things that you should very definitely reject in this world. But you know what? There's more that you should reject than you should accept in this world. And because we are to live separate holy lives. We are to walk in righteousness. And this is what it means here to live through Jesus. We are to love as Jesus loved. He is our example. We are to live as Jesus lived. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So again, very clear. This is what we are to be known for. Loving each other. Loving those in the body of Christ. Taking care of one another. If one lacks and one has, then the one that has steps up and helps the one that lacks. Again, I will state that the body of Christ is woefully pathetic in this way in our day and age. The body of Christ has become every man for himself. That's what it is. It's just every man for himself, just like the rest of the world. And we ought to love one another as God has loved. Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. He stood in our place. And we ought to stand in the place of our brothers and sisters. And we are to care for one another in love. Okay. Verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. So you, do you get what that verse is saying there? No one has seen God. But if we love one another, then God abides in us. Love is perfected in us. You see, this is the way that people will see God. That's the way people see God. They will see God in the way that we live. They will see God in the way that we love one another. They will look and say, man, those people love one another. Something about those Christians, those separate from the world, not of this world Christians, there's something about them. They love one another, and they're drawn to that. They see God in that. But again, our woefully pathetic Christianity today doesn't give that example properly. But we as individuals, as we study the Word of God, we must decide that that is going to be me. 
That is the way I'm going to live. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. You see, the spirit of God causes us to see something that we hadn't seen before we were born again. The spirit of God in us, right, and testifies to us that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. That's what the Spirit of God testifies within us, that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. And John will now repeat in a different way what he said earlier, right? Verse 15, right? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now remember back in verse 2, John said, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And here he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So let's tie it all together here. Jesus came from the Father. He came in the flesh. He is the Son of God. He sent his spirit. He ascended back into heaven, right? And then he sent his spirit Right. And verse 13 back there says, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. So it all ties together. Right. So we see the father, we see the son, we see the Holy Spirit. There is the good spirit, right? The spirit of truth. And there is the spirits of the Antichrist that do operate in this world Today, But the person that is born again of the Spirit of God is the one that testifies that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world and confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. And all of this is proven by the Holy Spirit that indwells a person and is the cause for God abiding in them. Then verse 16 and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So this is the litmus test, if you will, of Christianity. A litmus test is defined nowadays as a decisive, decisively indicative test. Okay, So in other words, it reveals the truth. The truth is revealed as to whether God abides in us or not in the fact that we abide in love. That's how we know that God abides in us, because we abide in love. Remember, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians that even though there are many gifts of the Spirit, even though we have faith and even though we have hope, what did he say the greatest thing of all was? Love. Love. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, this is an often misaligned verse of Scripture. But when you stay within the context here, as he is, so are we in this world, is speaking of love. 
When you stay within the context, it's speaking of love. As he is, so are we in this world. You see, we will have boldness in the day of judgment, like it says here, only if we abide in love while we walk through this temporary life. That's how we'll have boldness in the day of judgment. It says there, as he is. Well, you ask the question then, how is he? He is love. God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His son so loved the world that he died for it. His son so loved the world that he gave the Holy Spirit to us. And we will have boldness in the day of judgment if we walk in love. And we will know, we will be assured that we are in God because we are a people of love. We have nothing to fear at the day of judgment. We will have nothing to fear if we abide in love. And verse 18 says there is no fear in love. In other words, you don't even have to deal with fear. You don't even have to worry about it because you're living in love. That means you're living like God. That's what God wants us to do. So there's no fear. There's no fear. Remember, this is tied, this comes, this verse 18 comes right on the heels of speaking of the judgment. So there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Right. So don't fear the judgment. You don't have to fear the judgment if love is perfected in you. If you're living in God's love. We have seen thus far in first John that we are to keep the commandments of God. Right. We also see that we're not supposed to walk in willful sin, right? As we've been studying through this book, right? And when we keep the commandments of God, we've seen in this book that this is how we show that we love God. We are to love and to take care of the needs of the brethren with our earthly goods. We see that here in 1 John. And this also shows that we love God because we're loving other people, right? That's the way God showed love, by loving other people. It's the way he wants us to live. There will be no fear in the judgment day for us if we live in this kind of love. This is what we're seeing in this book. It's very simplistic. It cannot be confused. It's very simple here, folks. Love is the key thing. We've got to live love. Love started with God, continued with Jesus, and must continue with us as well. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. So God is the initiator of love. We are the responder to his love. We are now to imitate God within the body of Christ. And we are to go out and we are to be initiators of love amongst each other. Taking care of each other. So many times, look. I know the people that stand on the corners at the freeway, on the freeways. I know many of these people need help, right? But you, know the, you, but you know the Word of God tells us to help the body first, that we love the brethren, that we're helping one another. Many people take and stop and give money to the guy on the corner of the freeway, and they, and they know that someone in the body of Christ needs help. 
Many people take and get in their cars and they drive to their church and they give their tithe that pays for trees, that pays for landscape, that pays for buildings, that pays for potluck, that pays for, that pays for tea parties, that pays for all of this other stuff, right? When they drive right by and know that people in the body of Christ need the money specifically and they give it to the church and there's someone sitting in the seat that needs money, that needs help, and they're giving it to landscaping. Again, it's woefully pathetic. I think that's what I'm going to entitle this teaching. It's woefully pathetic the way the body of Christ does not live out love. But we are to be imitators of love. We love him because he first loved us. It started with him, but it continues with us. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In other words, right there in front of your face, somebody that needs help in the body of Christ. And you say, oh, I love God, but you don't help your brother. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So, very plain, very simplistic the word of God to me is very plain and very simplistic, but that's because I'm a simpleton and I have no other way to read it but just to read it as the simpleton that I am and let it speak to me in its simplicity. But we must live in love. Don't be stingy with the things you have. Keep the commandments of God. The Holy Spirit abides in us. And by him, the Father and the Son abide in us as well. By the Spirit, that is, right? God is love. Therefore, we know we abide in God and he in us by the fact that we live in love. We share the love of God that God has put in our hearts by his Spirit. We share this love with each other. And love takes sacrifice. And keep in mind that there is the spirit of the Antichrist in the world today. Been in the world ever since the early days when John wrote this. And the spirit of the Antichrist is still in the, in the world. It's a false doctrine. It's false prophets. It's people that teach false things. So therefore, what do we do? We must rightfully divide the word of truth and then we must live it on a daily basis. Rightfully divide the word of truth, which I believe is what we've done today. But then we must go out and live it. Why? Because faith without works is dead. If you say you have faith but you do nothing, that's just a dead faith, right? So don't have a dead faith. Do something and let love lead the way. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for your word, God. Where would we be, Lord God, without your word? Where would we be, God, without your love? If we confess today that we love you, we know, first of all, that we love you only because you first loved us. But secondly, Lord, if we confess today that we love you, then we must also live that way, Lord. We must keep your commandments. We must abide in you. We must abide in your word. We must love the brethren. 
We must turn from the things of this world. We must turn from sin and be people that are sold out and wholly committed to you, Lord, because that's what you desire for us to be, Lord. So again, Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. I pray that your word would go forth throughout this world, Lord, in many ways and in many places. I pray that your will would be done in our lives, that you would use us for your glory in this life we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.